Erin Brooke wrote a tweet about a lesson she learned from her mom when she was a little girl. It went viral. The educator, writer, and self-described friendly feminist posted about something that seems simple, but in reality is very hard for most of us, especially women, to do. My name is Erin Brooke, and this is a lesson on leaving. What's your earliest memory of being creative? I think one of my earliest memories is from a dance recital. And there is a a picture of this moment. So it's hard to say if this is an actual memory or if I've seen the picture and sort of created a memory around that picture. Yes. But there is a a picture somewhere of me. I must have been two and a half or three years old in a full on like sparkly outfit. And there's other three year olds on stage and everyone is, you know, you've got one sitting down and one like picking their nose and one like (laughs) waving at their mom. And there's just me in the back row standing in like the opening position for the number, like ready to perform and holding the line. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. So from dancer to writer, how did you find yourself in the career of writing? And you have a musical theater background as well. Is that right? I do. Yes. Even though I was in dance classes fairly early, I also uh, left dance classes fairly early (laughs) and then ended up in acting and singing a bit later on and sort of had to start from the beginning for dance to get into musical theater later. I mean, I do have memories of of writing and and trying to write at a young age. You know, I think I was like nine or 10 years old when I was like, I'm going to write a fantasy trilogy like Lord of the Rings, just like everyone else who ever wanted to write was like, I'm going to write basically Lord of the Rings, but different. I didn't get very far. I always journaled. And then in 2016, I wrote a Facebook post about the Ghostbusters movie. Yes. And that went kind of viral. And then I started getting paid to write things after that. What did you say about the movie? The post called it Go See Ghostbusters because it's important is what it ended up being. Got picked up by HuffPost and I love summer blockbusters and action movies and like superhero movies. And for me, sitting in that theater watching that movie was the first time that I had experienced something of that scale where the characters weren't sexualized. Mm. Specific moment for me was the, the like slow motion sequence where and like they, they were just, they were in coveralls and they had this, and like, it wasn't, there were no like sexy poses and, or like <laughs> sexy hair flips, but it was all, yeah. That I was love that. For me. Yeah. I love that. It's making me think about movies as a child because I didn't have, I can't say that I, I mean, I liked the kids' movies that we were supposed to see, but there became an age where I just stopped going to movies because it was all about porkies, you know, like the sex scenes. Mm-hmm. And it was all about stuff that I was like, oh, this is not kind of what I do as a woman. Mm-hmm. So, I did, of course, I didn't call myself a woman at that point. I was still definitely a girl. I, I love that you call yourself a friendly feminist. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's interesting that feminism has such a 
bad rap, although I think that's really changing in this moment. But why, why are you friendly? I've been teaching for quite a long time and I teach kids. And a few years ago, I started to see how little like people know. And there's sort of an age where that's acceptable. Mm-hmm. And in my students, I notice it's usually around age nine or 10 is when they start to feel that it's no longer acceptable to not know things. That's, mm-hmm. that's around when they stop just like blurting out questions and where you, I have to start digging and, mm-hmm. and really checking in to see if they understand what's going on and like give them permission to ask questions. And I've been a, a feminist for as long as I can remember, but that started to translate into feminism for me when I just started to realize that there are like people who just don't know things or whose first introduction to feminism is through social media or fortune or, or their like gamer friends or what they hear from their parents, which may or may not be accurate. And Mm -hmm. so just friendly because I, I've kind of taken on this idea that I call it, I say, assume ignorance basically. Mm -hmm. So I, instead of assuming that things that reactions or or questions are coming from a a negative place or, or a a trolling place, I assume that, that it's, it's a genuine question that people don't know or that their first reaction may be based on incorrect information. I think that's really important in this moment. It's a bit of a short lived assumption. Orange is the new black. There's this great scene that Kate Mulgrew has where someone is asking Kate Mulgrew to give someone a, a third chance and, and Kate Mulgrew responds like, no, two strikes. Russians don't <laughs> play baseball. And that's... I remember that. I totally remember that. <laughs> oh, yeah. like, I love that scene. I love, I love, I love that series actually. <laughs> I got, it, got, it got a little too dark around uh, season five for me where I was like, okay, I can't watch this now. It's starting to freak me out a bit. Yeah. But I was, or it was starting to, I think, mess with my mood. Mm-hmm. But I did, I loved the dynamic of so many women and not, again, I think it's to your point about Ghostbusters, not worrying about them in high heels with the push up bra, like being perfection. It was so many different kinds of women and so many different emotions that were, I, I loved it. I, I, I was really into it for a while there. I was like, huh, I would better stop watching this with such focus. I'll end up in prison like or something. It's <laughs> <laughs> like one of those things. I want to tell you a story about how my mom taught me that I'm allowed to leave an uncomfortable situation. I was maybe seven. I think it was my first sleepover at someone else's house. I don't remember the girl's name, but before I left, mom told me that if I was uncomfortable at any point, for any reason, even if it was in the middle of the night, I could call her. She was very clear. She said, even if her parents have gone to bed, I want you to knock on their bedroom door and ask to use the phone. I could call her even if it was late, and if her parents didn't answer the door, to just go find the phone and call her anyway. She said, it doesn't matter what time it is, you won't be in trouble, and I'll come get you. I think I was being teased about something. I definitely wasn't just, I can't sleep, there was something social going on, but that's what I did. The girl's mom tried to discourage me. She said it was late. I said my mom didn't care. She said I could sleep on the couch. I said I wanted to go home. She said I was upsetting her daughter. I said she was mean to me. I remember holding the phone and my mom answered. I said, hi, mom. She said, you want me to come get you? 
And I said, yes, please. She said, ask her mom to help you pack your things and get your coat on, and I'll be right there. And my mom showed up on her doorstep in pajama pants and a coat. The girl's mom kept apologizing for me calling. My mom put up a hand and said, don't apologize for my daughter. I want her to know she's allowed to leave, and I'll be there for her at any time. I remember the little crowd of sleepover girls huddled in the far doorway that led to the bedrooms, watching all of this, confused and silent. And I remember that mom apologizing. She didn't seem to know what to say after my mom asked her to stop. We're here about is this tweet, another social media post that went viral. So obviously you have a skill for this, where you spoke about your mom and what she told you when you were a little girl. What prompted you to to actually post that? It was the Kavanaugh hearings. Uh, Christine Blasey Ford's description of what what happened to her certainly is is a bit of a a direct trigger. I don't think it was quite so immediate in my brain. I don't think I was like watching the hearings and was like, I'm going to tell the story. I I think it Mm -hmm. sort of marinated a bit. The really the best part of the story, which I didn't tell in the tweet thread, is that my mom doesn't sleep in PJs. And yet... (laughs) (laughs) She puts them on. Yeah, she sleeps in like, like, you know, t-shirt and and undies, but she had this like full... PJ outfit of like the flannel <laughs> top and the flannel pants that I had never seen before. I love that. And so, yes, my, my mom definitely bought special PJs for my sleepover <laughs> to wear in to pick me up from the sleepover. That she was probably not it was like she may have been, she may have dropped me off and then gone home and changed into her special PJs and then just sat there. She may have like just had them and put them on. The, I, I don't know, but she had. Special PJs that I never seen before. This part of the quote, it's radical to have boundaries and to exercise them. Yes. And you say three things I think were really, really important. She explicitly said, you can leave if you want. Mm-hmm. She never questioned why, and she showed up. And 11,000 people liked that. It's really powerful. Yeah. were you surprised that this happened the reaction was 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 quite surprising not just in like people liking and and retweeting that because that's a couple clicks you know it doesn't take much but more the people who emailed me or who found me on different platforms to send me a message or who told me stories about like how they never learned this and things that in their life that would have gone differently if they had learned it. Several people contact me wanting to interview my mom. I had Mm. several parents contacting me asking if they could just meet my mom so they could ask her (laughs) parenting (laughs) questions. I told you I'm in love with your mom. I'm kind of in love with her. She's awesome. She's like a mom superhero. She's, I mean, I, I, I love my mom and she did, a, a, a decent job. I'm a, I'm a pretty good adult, but <laughs> she was, yeah, there was a weird article where they went and like found my mother's Facebook and like took pictures that she had posted of us as a family, like our family, like Sears family portraits kind of things and used those in the article. And I had to like do a bunch of work to get that taken down to be like, yo, no, Matt, we're, we're private citizens here. You can't be posting our family portraits on your news website because I wrote something on Twitter. This is ridiculous. (laughs) It's really struck me. Why is it radical for women to set boundaries? I agree. I agree with you, but I, it shocks me 
that it still is radical for women to set boundaries? It's, it's radical because we don't have a social script for it. Essentially, if, if there's, if something happens often enough that we have sort of go to standard responses for it, then it's not radical. But whenever you do something that puts someone in a position where they don't have any of those like back pocket phrases or reactions to offer, it becomes radical. So, I mean, if I were just right now, if I were just to be like, I'm done. Thank you very much. <laughs> you'd be like, you'd be like, wait, well, please don't. Your reaction would not be like, okay, great. See you. Your reaction would be to tell me no, whether that's in a nice way or, or in a not so nice way, you would want me to not leave mm. because we don't have a social script for this. It's still not like, and it probably really won't ever be socially acceptable to just pick up and leave. But there was a reason why you picked up and left. You were picked up and left because you were being teased. This goes to a point. It's one of the most yeah. popular posts we've had on our feed, which was about girls being mean to each other. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we have all of the scripts in place for that, that you don't have to tolerate another girl being mean to you. You don't have to slot in. You don't have to assume the position of wingman or wingwoman or whatever it is we do. But you can actually, you can assert yourself and you can be properly treated. I think it's interesting that mom said, no, 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 don't bother your mom. You're just going to stay. I think that's in, that's the more quote unquote socially acceptable way to behave. I mean, there's a bit of a social contract at play for, for that mom as well between her and, and my mother in particular, where she doesn't want to be seen as a bad mom. She doesn't want to bother my mom. She doesn't want any of that going on for her. And it's not just about me as a kid and what I want. There's what she wants in there and what her daughter wants is in there and what she thinks my mom wants is in there. And it gets really complicated really quickly. You are a communicator and a platform is built suddenly and a career is launched maybe that hadn't been considered. What's the instant visibility like because this is the second time that's or I mean I'm sure there's more actually I went and looked at your feed and there were a lot more but let's just say that that first time with the Ghostbusters post and being instantly visible what was that like it was it was overwhelming the way that most of us use social media is is to connect and, and communicate with people and so at first it was all of my friends were liking and sharing it and so I'm chatting with them about it or they're like telling me about when they saw the movie and what it felt like for them we're all like yeah yeah and like sharing gifs back and forth and, and then and then it starts to go beyond that at first you try to keep the same dynamic going you start responding to friends of your friends and having the same conversations with them and then inevitably someone's uncle stumbles in to tell you that you're wrong about your feelings that you had while you watched a movie so you keep responding to people and next thing you know, it's been four days and <laughs> it's gone beyond friends of your friends and like family of your friends' friends. It's now going around like somewhere in South Carolina, like it's going around some small church communities and people are like, why is she swearing so much in this post? And you're like, who are you people? <laughs> so the first time it happened, it was overwhelming and I was really watching it and I had a few 
sort of signs that someone was trying to hack into my accounts. And so I really locked everything down. My goodness. My dad works in IT, so I have decent security measures enabled. The second time it happened, I was more prepared. I was more like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll stay on top of this until the like, until the uncle pops in. And then I will, I will correct one uncle and I will stop after that. I'll stop responding. And then like the third or fourth time it happens, you're kind of like, oh, really? This one? This is what's going? (laughs) (laughs) I think writers tap into things that are unspoken but felt, Mm. and they're able to give voice to those things, whether it's an emotion or a movement, whatever it is. And I believe that's a real kind of leadership and a call to leadership. Do you consider yourself a leader? Now that it's happened like a few times, or do you, or have you considered that you have the opportunity to shape the conversation in a direction back to our first point of educating people, like of assuming the innocence of the ignorance and of really trying to change the way that things will go from here? Yes and, and no. I sort of hesitate to call myself a leader. I definitely display leadership qualities. It's not something I often strive for. It's more one of those things where I, (laughs) you ever, you sit in class and the teacher asks a question and nobody's answering. I'm the person who's sitting there getting more and more anxious that nobody's answering. And so I'm going to answer just because nobody else is. And It's less that I'm like, I want to be a leader. And it's more that I often find myself in situations where people are just kind of standing around staring at each other. And I'm like, all right, well, let's go this way then. (laughs) I I, I totally understand. (laughs) That is, again, part of being in a culture where it seems sometimes really obvious what needs to be done and people are not doing it. And you, you get tired of that when you can see differently. Or when you can see a solution, or as you said, or you can see a point that's not been made before. What's interesting, I, I wrote a paper about this because it's it's fascinating. I spent a lot of time on Twitter as my account started to grow. I spent a lot of time sort of defining boundaries and mm-hmm. defining how I interact with people. And I would do this quite openly. I would I would write threads about like, here's how I interact with people and here's how this works and here's how it goes. And what I noticed was that my followers started to take on those rules in my Mm -hmm. space. Yes. And then started to like moderate my space. (laughs) That's very good. For me, they will respond to people with a link, something that I wrote years ago saying like, Aaron doesn't do that. And here's why. And I'm like, why would you even, I don't, I don't even remember writing that, but you've got it like bookmarked or something and you've taken the time to share this with someone. And, and it's like this only like moderated space. It's fascinating. If not calling it leadership, but do you feel like you have a responsibility to the people who follow you? I, this is a bigger life question, but what is Erin here for in terms of her creative work? Do you know? Yeah, I tell stories. That's it. That's what I do. I tell stories. 
And I think that stories are one of the most fundamental ways that humans connect and learn and grow. So that's, that's what I do. I tell stories. And would you say those stories, are you more interested in stories about women? I'm definitely more drawn to stories about women, not just as a storyteller, but as a viewer and a reader. My dad, bless him, I must have been the most frustrating child, but I would basically refuse to read anything that didn't have a main female character in it somewhere. Yeah, um, good. <laughs> good work. <laughs> it's good work. And that spread to movies and video games. So in the mid '90s, this poor guy was out there looking for video games with with female protagonists because that's that's what I liked, and he found some, and it was amazing. I love your dad too. He sounds just awesome as well. He's he's great. He did insist. He was like, "You have to read Lord of the Rings," and I was like, "But there's no girls in it." And he's like, "Just pretend Legolas is a girl." So that's Legolas is a girl <laughs> in my head, and that's how that goes. <laughs> Good. Good. I think I think Mary Pippin. I think you can write that version. There's something for you. I love that. That would be cool. Yeah, I think Mary and Pippin ended up being girls in my head too, and that's yeah. (laughs) That was how I got through that one. But (laughs) here I am seeking you out three years later. I don't even know how I found this tweet, and I was reading it and. I thought this is so profound to be having this conversation. It makes sense when you wrote it, but it applies for so much work we've been going through. I believe that leaders are coming in unexpected places, Mm. which is part of the reason I reached out to you. I believe leadership looks different than it did before. And I believe that movements and the ability to move people is a kind of currency. I have a Patreon and I have a coffee account. And I think that was the most surprising thing was that people are willing to like tip me for tweeting. <laughs> like, oh, yes. yes. Thank you for this thread. Here's $3. I'm like, really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, love that. I guess selfishly as an audience member thinking that you deserve a space to share the kinds of stories that you do over and over again, because when you do, you don't know who's going to be impacted when or why, but you know that they will, because you do believe that stories have the power to change things. So I think you have a a gift. I'll just say that. If I asked you to complete the sentence, my wish for every other woman is? My wish for every other woman is that everyone has what they need so that they can leave. I know that sounds cheesy because we're just talking about that thread and everything, but I, I think a lot about the ways that this society is structured and how many women and trans and non-binary and gender non-conforming and intersex people are in abusive relationships, particularly financially abusive relationships, and how they can't get out. And I would sleep better at night knowing that anyone who was in a situation where they wanted to get out was able to. You have all of the answers. 
when you ask the right questions. Be visible. Speak your truth. Every other woman needs you to lead. Voice Lessons is produced, written, and spoken by me, Kim Cutable. It's also produced and edited by Sergio Miranda and associate produced by Jessica Manalga. Our music was created by singer-songwriter Claire Hamill. You can find out when we post new episodes when you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, etc. And if you liked what you've heard, we would love it if you leave us a review. For other inspiration, updates, and show notes, subscribe at voicelessonspodcast.com. Oh.